This is the last part of a four-part series from India. This is part four. Hello and welcome to India. It's been a busy, busy time. So far, you should have heard, if you've heard the first few parts, you should have heard from me, Vinny, in Delhi and then Agra, home of Taj Mahal and uh, the Agra Fort. And then off to Jaipur, the pink city, so-called because, yep, that's why. And then on to, so if you get on a train for 12 hours west of Jaipur, you end up in Jaisalma. And Jaisalma is completely unlike anywhere that I'd visited in the state of Rajasthan. But it was amazing, um, camel in the desert. If you want to, if you're in the Jaisalma region, you can stop there and uh, for a few nights, you can camp in the middle of the desert. It's really easy, like most things in India, because there's India, like so many developing countries, is just a, a country full of fixers. So if you've got something you need fixing, you just rock up somewhere, talk to someone, and it just all seems to happen. So for example, I wanted a cup of coffee. I went to a coffee shop in Jaisalma. Uh, they served great coffee, uh, according to the Lonely Planet. So I went there, asked if they had a room. They had a room, because it was attached to a hotel. Stayed in that hotel. And then over an evening meal, I said, do you guys do like tours into the desert? And they're like, yeah, we know a man. So the car will pick you up tomorrow and you can be on a camel within about two hours. So that's the sort of thing we're looking at. It's just a piece of piss. Obviously it helps to have, you know, a Lonely Planet guidebook or whatever, but I don't know. I just find them all really badly written. All of them, rough guides, Lonely Planet. They're just obsessed with dates and information that isn't actually that useful. And it's not very conversational in its style. I just find it's, kind of up its own arse and so I don't know why they don't learn that you know the format of TripAdvisor and people's experiences is slightly more um, helpful I don't know why they don't put those hard facts with some stories about you know people that have traveled and print them but that's that's a whole side rant about guidebooks <laughs> Jesus Christ I had to pause the recording at this point as 10 16 year olds with presumably no driving licences, came past on motorbikes showing off and doing lots of rim, rim, rim stuff, um, which was annoying. Um, it was really annoying, actually, because one of them threw a plastic bottle on the beach next to the road I was standing on, gorgeous beach, and, uh, yeah, I think they were showing off. Tip for you, lads, if you want to show off to a middle-aged man, uh, don't throw rubbish and uh, keep the noise down. Rock and roll. Anyway, uh, where was I? Now, I have to be careful here. I was talking about Jaisalma, Jaisalma, which I believe I've been calling Jaisalma, which is wrong. So let's get this right now. A bit late to be doing this, but I, I was talking about Jaisalma, which is in Rajasthan, a small desert town. And I was talking about that after a camel ride in the desert, uh, in the desert, I was entertained by dancers, right? Like a sort of fat Floridian on a cruise ship. Anyway, that's what I was talking about, and I think I was talking about those dancers. Let's go back to that. Right, Jay Selma dancers after a camel ride, middle of the desert. Um, really beautiful dancing and intricate fabrics woven with all kinds of jewels and, and uh, a sort of plastic versions, I would imagine, of, of what used to be enjoyed by Shah Jahan, if we go back to that original podcast, the original guy that was banging out tunes in his version of heaven with those ladies dancing all around him in perfect symmetry across waterfalls. It was a bit like that without, without quite the grandeur that he would have been used to. So really special time 
in the desert and uh, just a really wonderful feeling of, uh, of completely being outside a city and they're very intense the cities here as discussed so if you are coming to India get yourself out of those bloody cities and get some time under the stars. I slightly regret not staying in the camp overnight I stayed in a hotel in town time was a bit of a, of, of a squeeze because I had to fly out um, so unfortunately I didn't have time to stay out in the desert but I, I would have loved to and of course there, there's a fire to sit around and you can get chatting to some uh, various other tourists, uh, mostly Indian, which is really helpful because they can tell you more about where to go in India. And uh, if you get really friendly with them, I'm sure they'll say, why don't you pop round to our house for a cup of chai when you're in the neighbourhood, wherever they might live, because it's a very friendly and uh, open country. And they're really, really pleased to see foreign tourists here because they know that it's good for the economy and it's just good for vibes, man. Good for vibes. So that was that. Uh, that is called Jai Salma. It's near the border of Pakistan and uh, it was amazing really. A really beautiful uh, desert town. Everything's sort of beige and dusty. Still full of fucking honking car horns and all the madness in the centre of town but, but much smaller centre of town. Not 30 million people crammed into shanty towns. More like uh, a few hundred thousand I, I think. So that was that, and then flew from Jai Salma South, a long way via Mumbai. Would like to talk to, uh, to you about Mumbai, but I didn't really get out of the airport. Well, I didn't get out of the airport, so there's not much to talk to you about. I do know it's the tech capital of India, and I know that if you're uh, used to the lovely thing that is a call centre, then um, the chances are that call centre is in Mumbai. And from the plane window, all I can say is, wow, those guys know how to build a shanty town. Built up right around the airport. So a lot of them would just be able to look out of their window onto a view of the airport and God knows how loud it must be. So quite fascinating from that point of view. So that's Mumbai and then headed south beyond Goa, uh, south of Goa. I, I haven't been to Goa and I won't be going to Goa. I've not got nothing against the place. I'd, I'd like to see it, but uh, it is the most touristy place in India and I hear it's full of Russian and European tourists. Lots of Russians of course because they just come south to warm up um, and of course lots of Europeans because it's guaranteed winter sun isn't it? Um, so that's why a lot of people go to Goa and for that reason there's a lot of high rises and stuff like that. I don't think it's fair to criticise it having not been there, it's just not really my cup of tea when you can get a little bit more off the beaten track. So I've got a little bit further south to Kerala and Kerala is the name of the state and I am in a town called Kochi and uh, it's great, it's a dusty little town. Quite a few white people around actually, there's quite a few tourists, a lot more than I'm used to seeing um, in central Kochi. But now I've come outside Kochi and I'm having a look at some of the local surrounding areas. And those areas are pretty spectacular. Uh, the best way to see them is on a motorbike and that is what I have got. Uh, so I'm on it at the moment, obviously it's not running, um, <laughs> it's not an electric one and uh, it's, uh, it's great. So if you uh, uh, have got the ability to ride a motorbike, don't worry about the license obviously, just the ability is all you need and some patience and uh, obviously make sure you're sober and make sure it's daytime otherwise you are fucking taking your life into your own hands dangerous enough as it is. If you do want to rent a motorbike, you can rent a Royal Enfield. That is a British Indian motorbike company. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of history on that in case it gets, uh, in case there's some petrol heads listening. I'm probably going to get it wrong, but let's have a crack at it. Used to be a British 
brand manufactured in the UK and then like most manufacturing it left the UK and ended up elsewhere and it came here to India so a Royal Enfield as far as I'm aware is a British Indian motorbike and they're really really good they're a little bit like little bit like Harleys they're sort of cruisers mostly obviously not as big engine size because it's not America but um, they're really good I really like them I'll give you a quick blast on this one so if I can describe the scenery, I am uh, surrounded by palm trees for the first time. Hello. There's some kid with a ball saying hello. And let's get this thing going. Yeah, it's pretty beasty. It's only a 350, but um, it, it rides really well, like really well. Like as well as, I used to have a Honda Magna, if that's any help. Not a very well-known motorbike, I don't think, but um, I'd say, to be honest with you, it's actually better than that. Um, I have absolutely no idea how old it is, but I do know it's done 33,000 kilometres. Um, or has it done 133,000 kilometres? I don't know. Um, it feels great anyway. I mean, if you are thinking of doing this, and you can do it pretty bloody easily, um, I would say a good place to start is Kerala or Goa, because obviously it's a bit warmer. You don't want to be cold on your bike. Up north it's still pretty cold. I'm now um, what four hours flying south, although there was a layover. So I don't know, probably I don't know, probably about three hours flying south. Long way south. How about that? And um, so it's a lot warmer. If you want to rent one, it's pretty easy to do. You go to a guy that's got a load of Royal Enfields outside his shop, and you say, "Can I rent one?" And he'll say, "Yep, that'll be about a thousand rupees a day, which is about eight pounds or." about 12 US dollars, something like that. And um, maybe 10, 10 US dollars actually, thinking about it. And uh, yeah, you can rent, you can get a hell of a deal. I mean, that's, that's for one day. Obviously, if you rent it for a week, then you're gonna be paying probably about you know, six pounds a day, something like that. Uh, I'd imagine if you wanna rent it for a month, and you certainly could, then you probably end up spending about four pounds a day, something like that. Whatever you can negotiate on the day. Um, but it's extremely economical. And it's, in my opinion, great fun. I mean, there's nothing like being on a motorbike flattening around, um, particularly in the scenery like this. I'm a bit of a stickler for rules and safety because I'm getting old and I don't want to kill myself. So I personally, I'm just going to stop this. Park up next to a coconut tree. Yeah, so I'm a bit of a stickler for rules and stuff. So I would say um, you should always wear uh, shoes you know, not flip-flops, you should always wear jeans. And I'd put a jacket on, um, which everyone's looking at me like I'm weird, because obviously it's pretty hot down here. It's probably about 20, 28 degrees today. But the thing is, if you come off, you know, you are playing with your life, aren't you, really? So I think, put a few layers on, drive sober, obviously. I mean, not even one beer in, and um, don't drive at night. That's my advice. And it's the same advice, really, any, anywhere in developing countries. Um, you can drive at night in the west, but I certainly wouldn't do it here. You never know what dogs and cows are going to run out in front of you and what potholes you can't see. And of course the bike, I mean, it feels good now, but I haven't got to, the, uh, I haven't got to test its electrics. So there's a very good chance not all the lights work and obviously indicators are very much optional. Uh, Signalling here is, I did see someone do it. I've seen one motorbike do it in the entire day. Um, <laughs> but really, people just do what they want to do. And you have to completely adopt a new way of thinking when you motorbike here. You have to think of yourself, this is, I hope this is good advice, think of yourself as one of the ants and everyone else is an ant. 
and everyone is going wherever they're going and you are all equal and you need to just bear in mind that people will cut in front of you and that there doesn't seem to be any rules but you're all just going along with roughly the same target in mind that oh, actually i'm not i'm not happy with this i'm not happy with this at all it started well but now it's nothing like ants because ants just fucking do u-turns don't they and they do massive right angles so be like an ant in the pack terminology right but with actually maneuvering everything is slow easy and never ever change your mind so if you've committed to turning right well you're turning right because everyone else is thinking that guy's turning right so the last thing you can do is go well actually i'll keep going because at that point a lot of people have made some bizarre decisions to go around you on the wrong side of the road um, some pedestrians have walked out in the path that you would take if you were going the other way blah 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 so basically soft smooth one direction and uh, fucking hope for the best there you go <laughs> i hope that was incredibly helpful um, I'm not sure it can be described really organized chaos like most of the East so yeah if you want to do that you can and uh, they will need some ID my guy said can you give me a passport and I was like oh my passport's in the hotel and they're like right can you give me your driving license and I'm like yeah but if you're keeping my driving license what happens if I get pulled over by the police and they went you won't but if you do just just ask them to give us a call and I'm like, okay, and what, what will you say? I'll say, well, we rented him a motorbike and everything's fine. Okay, great. So I'm driving around in Kerala, southern India, on a 350cc Royal Enfield motorbike with no driving licence. And apparently that's normal. And it feels quite, it feels quite good, actually. The scenery is beautiful. It's absolutely breathtaking. It is proper tropical beaches. And it's so undeveloped in this part. There's a Jeep there with like a couple of tourists in it, but they're on a tour. 99.99% uh, are just local villagers and uh, locals that might have had the fortune of coming down the beach for the day. It's quite weird seeing um, various women bathing in saris and then coming out and keeping that same sari on. Because as I say, it is a conservative country, so you have to bear that in mind. If you're coming with your girlfriend, I wouldn't say that a jeweled bikini is probably the best way to go. Um, but I would say that it, it's, as long as you're respectful um, and acknowledge the local slightly more conservative dress code if you're female um, I think it's just a matter of respect I mean to be honest with you some of it goes too far the concept of not showing your knees is ridiculous isn't it so you know be you but err on the side of caution ladies that's what I'd say uh, Kerala also is the home of some recent troubles um, really interesting actually there's it's slightly, slightly more Christian here. I've seen a couple of churches, but still uh, Hinduism is the main religion, which it is in all of India. And of course, Hindus have temples and temples are, as of fairly recently, recognised governmentally, legally, as unisex. So if you're a woman and you want to go into a temple, no problem, off you go. Um, now, this isn't really a problem for, for tourists because I, I don't think tourists would want to create the trouble of females going into temples we're talking here about locals local women over the last few days well over the last year actually have been going into these temples as they have a legal right to do but unfortunately men do tend to just fuck everything up in the world don't we i mean we really do just this idiotic notion that we are in control of women and have some sort of righteous 
ruling over them, and, and in fact more so than the current laws of India, mean that some men have uh, caused a massive storm and stood in the way of these women who have the legal right to go to temples. So the women have protested in their thousands, and bloody good for them, that's change, and um, unfortunately it's, it's turned into violence. So in recent days in Kerala, no, I haven't witnessed any of it, and it's absolutely fine if you're a tourist. The last thing they want to do is um, mess up a good thing with tourism, but uh, I have noticed uh, a lot of the headlines have said that there's been some uh, outbreaks of violence in the more sort of backward conservative villages that aren't ready for the social changes that, in my opinion, should have come thousands of years ago. But uh, I have to take some blame because the British went and fucked everything up here by banning homosexual sex. So we have a responsibility to accept that we have uh, put this country back a little bit, a bit like uh, the states in Latin America. But anyway, let's not get into that. That's another political argument that could last another 10 podcasts. Point is, it is safe to come to Kerala, but be aware of the social changes. Read your government website, read the, you know, the local news, and just take an active interest in it. And in the unlikely event you do get in any political conversations with tuk-tuk drivers or taxi drivers, if, if they speak enough English to do so, I'd just remain pretty neutral. Like, you don't have to lie. You don't have to say that, you know, women shouldn't be allowed in temples. But I'd just be very careful of getting in political conversations when you're abroad because what's the fucking point, right? Just uh, be socially graceful without denying your own beliefs and opinions. There you go. That's a very Canadian way of putting it, but there you go. Right, I am going to keep trucking because I've been banging on. Um, come to Kerala, it's amazing. Uh, always remember to take your motorbike out of gear. And to start it, uh, I'm going to have to get a ferry back to um, that particular part of Kochi that I'm in, um, which is a hell of an experience in itself. That's, that's a lot of fun. And it's going to cost you nine pence, so about 12 cents for a motorbike and you to get across on the ferry crossing. Um, and it is very funny, albeit a bit chaotic, uh, and definitely not with Western standards of safety. Uh, you might want to be a good swimmer, is what I'm saying. And uh, let that bike go if it goes down. As Cypress Hill said, when the shit goes down, you better be ready. There we go. So I'll try and do more from Kerala. It's an amazing place. It's the tropics and it is gorgeous. And it's pretty easy to get around. Even if you don't you know, have a motorbike, you can get yourself a driver or just hire a tuk-tuk guy for the day. It's not going to cost you really any money and uh, it's absolutely epic. So come to Kerala uh, or Goa if you want a little bit more sort of high-rise um, hotel blocks and stuff like that, maybe a few more white tourists. Um, but this part of the world is very special and uh, I hope to give you another report from here in a couple of days. Let's see how we go. But for now, I'll say sayonara. Night-night. Welcome to the open backwaters of Kerala. That's where I am, and I'm tootling down on a houseboat down the backwaters, down the rivers of the state of Kerala in India, and I am pretty bloody impressed because as I look out, I can see an old guy in a canoe fishing, and I can see a whole range of other houseboats, just like the one I'm on, all covered in uh, reeds, essentially, reeds and 
so they've all got this sort of beige colour. They all look like, I suppose the best way to describe them is they look like floating thatched cottages, uh, if you're English. And if you're Canadian or American, they look like wicker, perhaps? Wicker, you know, like a laundry basket. There you go. They're floating laundry baskets in the shape of boats, but far, far more beautiful than that. Uh, the boats themselves are beautiful. The scenery, however, is just far more spectacular, and that's what it's all about. So as I look out, I can see uh, endless palm trees lacing the sides of these riverbanks. The riverbanks, which appear man-made over probably hundreds of years, perhaps thousands of years, these rivers, these backwaters have been tamed, and when needed, they can release some of the water into the surrounding paddy fields. So that you've got rice fields, tiny little villages occasionally across the bank um, and the occasional Buddhist temples on the banks and you just put on down the river looking at people getting on with their lives so it's the morning now so people are washing their clothes before the heat of the day kicks in and uh, people are brushing their teeth villagers wandering around um, on the banks just getting on with their life the river is their lifeline and uh, apart from the very occasional white person you might see on other boats um, the banks of these rivers have been the same for a long time and uh, that's where life has been just getting on and it's gorgeous. If you come to Kerala you have to do this. If you come to India arguably you'd have to do this. I can genuinely say this is my favourite time in India so far. I love boats, I just love being tootling away and uh, there's a living chef and uh, a captain of the boat so obviously the captain drives it the chef just cooks up whatever you want makes you cups of chai whenever you need them and uh, he cooked an amazing fish dish last night fantastic fish curry with coconut and stuff which is uh, what you'll be eating a lot of in Kerala and then you just drink wine and look at the stars and then he moors up for the night and um, you hang out in the palm trees and chill out maybe talk to some local people um, we went to a Buddhist temple and uh, had a little wander around there and uh, got back on the boat to fall asleep really early because of course there's not much to do frankly but that means a nice early morning watch the sun come up and look at the spectacular scenery uh, the sun now is shining away and uh, there's a sort of haze over the distant jungle so it gives this kind of beautiful morning spooky feel and uh, yeah, you've got to do this. Now, all this is all very well, but it sounds expensive, doesn't it? A boat with two bedrooms and a cook and the captain and food. £55 a night. So that's about $80 a night. Um, and that's it. That's all you've got to pay. It's just so bloody cheap. Um, and that's of course your accommodation and your entertainment and your food all together in one. Now of course I appreciate that that is a lot of money for India. You can, for example, get a bed for the night in a hostel for probably one, maybe two pounds. So, and you can get um, <clears throat> your own hut on the beach, a little bungalow, which by the way is an Indian word, I learned. So if you use bungalow in a regular context, it started here. Yeah, but if you want a little bungalow on the beach, um, you're going to be looking at about five or six pounds, so about eight or nine dollars, something like that. So it is very cheap, um, 
and it is more expensive to do a boat, but it's still bloody cheap, really, when you think about it. So it's got to be done, and you can do it for as long as you like. If you turn up in Kochi, just go to what they call the finishing point, uh, because that's where all the boats finish. It's also where they start, so I don't know why they're slightly pessimistic about all that, but there you go. Um, and get yourself on one of these boats. And I've done—I don't think I've done a great job of explaining it. So just Google Kerala Kerala house boats, and you'll see a picture of a floating laundry basket, thatched cottage, wicker boat. Yeah. All right, that's it. Because we're docking. So the dream is over already, unfortunately. I think they get back quite early so they can uh, chill out, refuel, and then wait for the next bunch of gormless tourists like me to come along and hop on for the next evening. You could do two or three evenings if you wanted. If you're looking for a wedding venue, this would do you nicely. You could get all your buddies on different boats. But anyway, it's your life. Just giving you information. Big love from Kerala. Ta-ta. I've been on many beach holidays at this time of year, but it is quite weird walking along in the 30 degree sunshine, and then every now and then you catch a glimpse at a restaurant that says Merry Christmas with a picture of snowflakes on it. If you're listening in Australia, this is your normal life, but for us Brits, it's a bit weird. I'm in a particularly white people beach at the moment, um, a place called Vakala. Vakala? Vakala. Vakala? I'll just keep questioning that. Um, it's called Vakala, south of Kochi, a place that can... It's very difficult to have this conversation when I'm being stared at. Hello. Hello. Sorry about that. Yeah, it's being properly stared down. One of, some of the cultural differences are quite stark. One of them is you can stare at me for as long as you like and just lock on. On a bus, sitting right next to me, just stare at me. Uh, across a restaurant, just stare at me. Uh, apparently, it makes you just a little bit paranoid after a while. You're like, am I completely weird? But that's life, I suppose. Even here, which is, as I say, quite a white person beach, people seem to think that we're some sort of peculiar tourist attraction. Um, and the more remote areas you go to, my God, you get stared down, man. You get stared right down. I have partaken in a stare off where there was a kid of about sort of 15, 16 staring at me um, from his tuk-tuk into my tuk-tuk at traffic. And I thought, what I'll do is I'll lock on eyes with the kid, knowing fully well that I can outlast him. And it lasted probably the most awkward minute of my life um, before I bottled it and the kid won. And he's probably still staring at me now. I just have uh, ignored the fact that he's been following me around India. It was fucking mental. They just, they just love a stare. Also, they love a selfie as well. A lot of forts and archaeological sites that we've been to. You know, most tourists in India are domestic tourists. You've got 1.3, 1.4 billion people. So, um, <laughs> you're always the anomaly. And that means that people stare at you quite a lot. It's quite weird watching. I was just watching a load of Indians now and they're all... Um, freaked out by the sea. I thought that there might be a shark out there, but apparently they're just enjoying waves. Possibly for the first time by the look of it. Very excited by the whole affair. Anyway, where were we? So that's Kerala, the backwaters, that's where we were. Uh, the backwaters of Kerala involve these uh, networks of hundreds of kilometres of backwaters, of river ways, uh, all fringed with palm trees and paddy fields. So if they want to, they can flood 
the uh, paddy fields uh, for irrigation purposes, which all sounds very practical. It's fucking off the charts beautiful. It's it's paradise beautiful. And the best way to see it, the only way to see it really, is to get a houseboat. Um, now, apparently there were floods in Kerala a little while back, and as a result of that, tourism is massively down. A lot of people cancelled their trips. So that's another reason that most tourists are domestic and not that many white people, apart from um, this particular beach, which is very white and sort of full of yoga, surfy type dudes and dudettes. So um, as a result of that, it was incredibly easy to book, well not to not even book actually, just to rock up at hotels, rock up at bungalows and indeed rock up and get a houseboat. If you go to Kerala and you can do this, I mean if you go to India, you should go to Kerala and get on these houseboats. It is a unique experience in this world. There is really nothing like it um, anywhere. Um, you can stop at a fish farm and buy a fish which he'll pan fry for you or he'll just sort you out a nice chicken curry if you don't want to stop and buy your own fish and uh, you've got your chapati breads and all that stuff served with it and some wine if you bring it along with you. Um, quite religious Kerala so as a result um, booze is available but you have to just sniff around a little bit more than you would do uh, normally. It's a bit, if you're Ontarian then you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, it's a bit like the LCBO um, or if perhaps you're, I don't know, Swedish or anyone with a controlled licensing liquor board you'll know what it's like, it's a bit like that. And you'll be really genuinely struck with just how idiotically beautiful it is. Pure nature as it's meant to be. And if you don't want to do that, or if you do want to do that and you want to spend another night, you can also organise yourself a massage on the banks. There's plenty of places that you can stay and or get a massage. Um, so it's sort of kitted out, again, for those domestic tourists. Um, and you can get some of the local healing techniques. One of them, uh, forgive me, I forgot the name of it because it's really confusing. It's a Hindu word that I can't remember. But Anuvyantuan? Um, no, I'm not even going to try. I'm not even going to try. I'll put it in the notes or something. Um, but yeah, one of the uh, techniques of massage is to pour, uh, it's thousands of years old, is to pour boiling, well not boiling, but very hot oil, not boiling oil. That might, uh, that might be a bit Guantanamo. Um, but yeah, to, to, that was very dark, wasn't it? Sorry, Bella. <laughs> it's very, incredibly dark taste. There you go. There's a little glimpse into the peculiar mind of Vinnie White. And so you can, uh, sure, you can get yourself a hot oil poured over your forehead. Um, and this lasts for some hours, actually, if you wanted to. You can, about an hour and a half long. Um, and they do various other massages on you while they're pouring that oil. I didn't do it, but apparently it's absolutely wonderful and a lot of people swear by it, so you can give that a go. God, that's weird. I'm just walking along a beach and there's a, a little golden Buddha on the rocks. It's not even Buddhist round here, but there you go. Very um, open to religion, actually, here. Really interesting, particularly in southern India, a lot of um, British missionaries came and spread Christianity. So you've got quite a lot of churches, obviously you've got a lot of Hindu temples. temples. Um, there's still a few Muslims around, so there's a couple of mosques, and I've just seen that iconography there of, of um, Buddhist, I nearly said propaganda, but that's how I feel about religion, but there you go, Buddhist uh, iconography, shall we say. Um, and so you, you really have a very open-minded attitude to uh, religion here. In fact, I was in a restaurant earlier this morning, and there was a picture on the wall of Vishnu, the elephant god, with some uh, various uh, 
depictions from Hindu texts around him, right next to, on the same plaque, a picture of Jesus. And uh, right next to that, there was some Arabic script, which I think was uh, some sort of celebration of Islam. So, so <laughs> just like, right, it's not even like three different plaques that you can put up. It's just one plaque to cover most, um, which I thought was really interesting, actually, um, because there are a lot of different religions here in southern India. Much in the north, it's pretty much all um, Hindu religion. But here, loads of missionaries came through, lots of Arab traders and spice people. So anyway, without going into it, that's, um, that's the case of religion. Slightly thrown me off my point, seeing a golden funky Buddha sitting on a rock. So get yourself to Kerala. It's bloody amazing. That's what goes on there. You can go through those backwaters. Absolutely gorgeous stuff. Really, really spectacular scenery. And uh, once you've done a few days of that, perhaps you want to stay on a sort of bungalow on the shores there. Perhaps, you know, when I say bungalow, I mean a sort of, you know, essentially a, a, a hut, a, a um, straw hut. Um, some of them have got AC, which can't be good for the environment because the walls don't hold anything in anyway. Um, but at this time of year, you don't really need them. You just need a fan um, just to cool you off. And that's, uh, that's Kerala. It's bloody great. Well, that part of Kerala. Then you head south to this beach that I'm on now. And uh, there's a whole load of delights here, including uh, excellent restaurants, excellent food, loads of coconut and fish curries because that's the sort of local flavour and uh, just this sort of tropical vibe and beaches uh, or this particular beach is one of the best I've seen. There are quite a lot of beaches dotted around up the coast. Unfortunately, Indians, so much like the developing world, just think it's perfectly acceptable to dump a load of shit on the beach. So you're quite often walking along and there's just like a massive pile of plastic bottles and crisp packets and shite. Most of which, but has to be said, originates from tourists because the locals don't drink bottled water. So it's fair to say that without tourism it wouldn't look this shit but it is also fair to say that it is the locals that are dumping it right because a lot of people put it in bins or garbage pails and then they just go and fucking dump the garbage pails on the bin on the on the beach so it's a bit disappointing really um you're never that you're never that far away from a massive pile of garbage in india and it doesn't matter where you are it's such a shame you're never that far away from anything actually in india even though it's a massive country, there's always someone somewhere looking at you probably, and there's always a massive pile of shit uh, not too far away. So there you go. Come to India. Enjoy being stared at and massive piles of shit in amongst all the amazing and beautiful things that I've already mentioned. Um, there's a cap the capital of the state region, which is completely unpronounceable. It's got about 40 syllables and starts with TH. It's something like thingy bongy doo da doobie doobie flu. Um, that is where I'm heading tomorrow and from there I'll fly back to Delhi and then I'll be flying home. So this is the uh, last part of the trip. Perhaps I'm being a bit smug, but I would say if you are planning a trip to India in January, brilliant time to go. Start north where it's cold at night and then work your way to a nice beach resort so you can really have a nice uh, treat at the end of it. And if you can get to a, a fairly popular beach like the one I'm on now, then it will have all kinds of facilities, nice toilets, nice restaurants. Um, actually, the restaurants are nice all over India, don't worry about that. Um, but just all the facilities you'd want, showers and stuff like that, that we're probably more used to in the West. Um, and you can really pamper yourself towards the end of your trip. That's how I'd, I'd recommend doing that one. On the beach in southern Kerala, surrounded by um, a mixture of white people wearing bikinis, which is quite freaky because I haven't seen anyone, I haven't seen this much flesh in a long time. This is Vinnie White, who just accidentally sounded like a pervert, back talking to you soon.
a weird way to finish. There you go. Ta-ta. So there you have it. This was a four-part series from India. India. What a spectacular and weird place. Here I am back in the UK in a recording booth in London. And it's one of those weird feelings like it never happened. But it did happen, didn't it? Did it? Or was it just a very smelly dream? India. A place where cows walk the street because they are holy. Where litter piles up high because apparently no one really cares. Where vegetarianism is the norm. Where queuing is an alien concept. Home to the largest forts in the whole world. Very infrequently visited by any Westerners. India is a country where it's cold at one end with the Himalayan snows. And at the same time, at the other end of it, it's so hot you can sit under a palm tree on a golden beach. If you can handle the occasional Indian tourist stopping to take a picture with you because they've never seen anyone like you. That happened quite a few times. India is a country where Amazon and eBay are decades away and a small market contains 500 stalls. Sometimes it feels like you've jumped in a time machine to get there. India is a place that can be so noisy you would be mad not to bring earplugs. Sadly, where cities are so polluted that you will need a mask. But so friendly, you're never stuck for a chat about absolutely anything. And so unbelievably culturally rich, more than I ever imagined, that you could spend a lifetime in India learning about the anthropology and still feel like you knew very little. It's not good for a first holiday unless you're the sort of person that thinks that Firestarter is a chill-out track. It is intense and maddening and sometimes beautiful in its madness. If you fancy an experience to break up the mundanity of sometimes what can be life, then India is the place for you. And if you like colour and curry and madness, then definitely you should get yourself a ticket. That was a four-part series from India. I had a really bloody good time. So go. I'm back in London now and I'm working on a new project um, for the people that have just tuned in recently. Just don't worry about this. But if you've been following me through the years in Ottawa and Toronto and now back here doing travel podcasts and doing travel podcasts around the world, I can tell you I probably will keep doing. In fact, I definitely will keep doing travel podcasts. Um, but I'm working on a new project, which I'm not quite ready to announce, but I'll do a little teaser. I'm going to be doing a talk, and that talk is going to be in London and maybe various other cities if it expands. And uh, it's going to be about the history of music. I'm going to be doing a talk here in London for which you can get cheap tickets. Uh, I would imagine very cheap until it takes off and then they'll be slightly more expensive. Um, but really... I don't think I'm doing this one for the money. And it's going to be about the history of music. I'll announce more on that soon, probably on this podcast, and you can find out more. But until uh, my next travels or until the next time I feel the need to record something, I'll say goodbye. You can get in touch with me through vinnywhite.co.uk. Vinny is a weird spelling, V-I-N-N-E-Y, white, like the colour, .co.uk. Drop me a line if you fancy it. Um, listen, we are going through a couple of steps back, but we will go a few steps forward soon enough. I know that we're all, well, personally, I'm a bit pissed off with the whole Brexit thing, and uh, 
I'm not sure if there's much more than a few mad people that enjoy NASCAR that are too happy with Trump. So I know it's a little bit of a hard time to live in at the moment, but be patient and be compassionate to each other because I think the world needs that at the moment. There you go. That's my bit. Catch you later, potatoes. <laughs>